0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys here today. And I am glad to be back at Plum Creek after being out of town last week. Our family went down to Tennessee for a few days for fall break, mainly to spend some time with my dad. And we did have a great time with dad. Um, but there were several highlights of this trip. Uh, we got to drive through the mountains and see some amazing fall colors. I never get tired of that. Uh, we hiked up to a beautiful waterfall one day, and then for the first time, we got to visit Bucky's. Any of you guys familiar with Bucky's? Some people call this the Disney World of Gas Stations. And I won't even begin to describe it right now. All I can say is this Bucky's was bonkers. <laughs> and uh, just a piece of advice you may not want to visit on a Sunday afternoon. We were lucky to make it out of there alive. Uh, but, all that to say, I'm glad to be back at Plum Creek this week, and I want to thank Jimmy, our next-gen minister. Uh, he did a great job kicking off this series last week, a series called No Matter What Happens. And in this series, we're taking four weeks to walk through one chapter in the Bible, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and pull that up, John 16, Uh, Before we read here, I want to give you some context around this chapter. Here's the story. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and he has a few things he wants to say to his disciples, and he gives kind of a farewell speech. And this farewell speech is pretty long. It spans over five chapters in the book of John. But Jesus, he's preparing his disciples for some hard times that are about to come. And he doesn't sugarcoat this. He says, guys, (laughs) there will be people coming to kill you. And these people will believe that killing you is a service to God. And by the way, I won't be around for this. I'm actually going to leave. Now, if you're one of the disciples, you don't want to hear that. I I can imagine them freaking out at this point. But in the midst of all this bad news, Jesus also gives the disciples some good news, and that's what we're going to read today. So let's go ahead and look at this passage, John chapter 16, and we'll read verses 5 through 15. So here we go. Jesus says to the disciples, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Okay, there's a lot going on here. uh, But first, I want to reiterate something Jimmy said last week. Jesus is being very real here. He says, yes, some hard times are coming. And my followers are not exempt from suffering. But no matter what happens... If you keep trusting God, he will get you through it. But how will God do that? How how will he help the disciples get through whatever is coming? Well, we saw that here in verse 7. Jesus says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. This verse has always amazed me. Jesus says, okay, I'm about to take off. I am leaving you guys here without me, but that's actually a good thing. You're going to be better off after I leave. How is that possible? It just doesn't seem right. The answer is here in this verse, though. Jesus says, after I leave, the advocate will come. And when Jesus says the advocate, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. But again, how does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is invisible. How could the Spirit's presence be superior to the visible, physical, flesh and blood Son of God being right there with you? Well, I once heard it explained this way there's a, a title for Jesus that you hear around Christmas time. The title is God with Us. And that is an amazing thing. When Jesus was born, God himself came to earth as a baby. Jesus was literally God with us. But think about the Holy Spirit for a second. The Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, he dwells within you. And this is actually better. Instead of God with us, it's God within us. So, What does that mean? What difference does it make if the Holy Spirit is living in you? Well, let's look again at what Jesus said. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate. An advocate is someone who pleads your cause. And this word advocate, it comes from a Greek word, paraclete. And you can actually translate the word paraclete in several different ways. You could say advocate, but you could also say helper or encourager or counselor, or comforter. And the reality is, the Holy Spirit is all of those things. It makes a huge difference when He is living in you. But in this passage, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in a very specific way, and that's what we're going to focus on today. If you skip down to verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. So, in addition to this role as a helper and advocate and all those other things, the Holy Spirit is also a guide. That's why the title of this sermon is Tales of a Tour Guide. And that's a, kind of a different way to think about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? A tour guide. Uh, I was thinking uh, this week about some of the different tours that I've taken in my life, and some of them have been very cool. Uh, a couple of years ago, before COVID, our family went just down the road to Georgetown, Kentucky, and we took a tour of the Toyota plant. And it's it's an amazing thing. Right here in Kentucky, this Toyota manufacturing facility, it's the largest plant they have in the world. They roll out over a half a million vehicles every single day. And on this tour, we got to ride a tram all around the assembly line. And everybody on this tram, we had uh, headsets on, and there was a tour guide and he explained everything we saw everything from stamping the metal to dropping the engine to installing the seats and the dashboards and I was so impressed it was incredible it was like this fine-tuned choreography people and robots working together in perfect timing but you know what We never would have seen any of those things without the tour guide, because you can't just waltz into the Toyota plant and walk around by yourself. I was also thinking about a different tour that we took uh, back before we had kids. Hannah and I were out in Boulder, Colorado, and we went to the Celestial Seasonings factory, and we got to see how they make tea. For some of you, that may not sound exciting, but this was very cool too. Uh, one of the highlights of this tour was a visit to the Mint Room. This is where they keep the peppermint and the spearmint. And in this room, it's huge, and it has a gigantic garage door, and this garage door is usually closed. They, they have to keep this room closed off because of the smell of the mint. That aroma is so strong, it would get into all the other teas and ruin them. And when you're in this room, that, that smell, it kind of like opens your sinuses, which is nice, but it also burns your eyes, so you don't want to stay in there too long. The gift shop actually sold t-shirts that said, I survived the mint room. This is another place that I never would have seen without a tour guide. And this is the point I'm making here. When you are with a good tour guide, you will go places you never would have gone on your own. You'll you'll see things you never would have seen on your own. You will learn things you never could have known on your own. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for followers of Jesus. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And this is something we desperately need because all of us are just human. Our perspective is so limited. There's, There's just so much that we don't know. Sometimes we have a version of the truth that's twisted and distorted. Other times, we're, we're just ignorant. We, we can't see the truth because we don't have eyes to see what God can see. You may be familiar with a verse over in 1 Corinthians 13. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, here in this life, it's like we're looking at a dim reflection in a dark mirror. We, we don't see very well. But down the road, when we're with God, we'll finally see clearly. We'll, we'll be there face to face with Him. So, what's the lesson here? Well, for the moment, I'll, I'll give you this one takeaway. Don't try to be your own tour guide. Don't assume that you have the knowledge and the wisdom necessary to make the right decisions. Don't assume that you know what's best. This is especially true as we go through trials and tribulations, things like what the disciples had to face. When, when things get tough and when you're hurting or you're suffering, man, it's so easy to question God and, and feel like you kind of know better. It's so easy to say, God, what are you doing here? This doesn't make sense. Why are are you not helping? Why aren't you doing something? Are you listening? Do you care? Are you even there? When we try to answer questions like that based on our own understanding, it's like you're trying to be your own tour guide. But what does life look like when the Holy Spirit guides you into the truth. Well, I wanna take a moment this morning to look at a helpful case study. I wanna go back to the Old Testament and look at a prophet named Elijah. Now, Elijah was a man that at a certain point in his life, he had a distorted version of the truth and that distortion led him to full out depression. And it's kind of surprising to learn that Elijah struggled with depression because I mean, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. He saw God work amazing miracles. But in this case, he's not doing well. He's in complete despair. So what happened? How did he get there? Well, first here's a little background. Elijah hits his low point immediately after a great victory. He was up on Mount Carmel and there was a contest between Elijah and the prophets of a false god named Baal. And this contest, it was a test to see which god was the true god, Baal or the god of Israel. So as the contest begins, the prophets of Baal, they start praying and dancing and crying out, answer us, O Baal. But they get no response. And then Elijah steps out, and he says, Lord, please answer me show that you are God in Israel. Lord, please turn the hearts of these people back to you. And in that exact moment, God sends down fire from heaven. In that moment, God proves once and for all that he is real, he is true, and he is infinitely powerful. And Baal is exposed as this empty, powerless, man-made God. And then the the crowd of spectators, they got no doubts at that point. They start shouting, the Lord, he is God. So this is great, isn't it? It's a great victory. Yeah. But there were some people who were not excited about that victory, especially a queen named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel and her husband Ahab They were the rulers of Israel at that time, and they were hands down the worst rulers in Israel's history. They they led the people away from God. They led the people into complete idolatry, and it was actually Jezebel driving that train. And here's something you should know about those prophets of Baal, the ones who were defeated on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal were servants of of Queen Jezebel. And when Jezebel hears what happens, she, she is furious. And she sends a message to Elijah. And the message says, You are dead. You're going to be killed within 24 hours. Now, Elijah receives that message. And what does he do? Well, he could have said, uh, Jezebel, Ms. Queen, did you not get the memo? I serve the real God. I prayed, and my God sent down fire from heaven. And because I serve the one true God, I sure don't need to be afraid of you. Elijah could have done that. He could have stood up to Jezebel. But that's not what he does. We'll pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 3. So here... It says, Elijah was afraid. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So this does not look like a man of courage. This looks like a man who is terrified of the future. Elijah wants to quit. He says, I've had enough. I can't take this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that place where life just feels like too much and and you want to escape one way or the other? That's where Elijah is. And this is one of the great things about the Bible. People in the Bible are so relatable. The book of James tells us that Elijah was a normal human being, just like any one of us. He got scared. He got overwhelmed. He had those moments when life seemed unbearable. And here in this passage, Elijah, is really, he's reached that place of hopelessness. He's ready to die. He wants to get out however he can. But how did Elijah get to that place? Well, if we go back and look at the story, we can see several things that brought him to that low point, point. and I want to give you two of them, and we should pay attention here because we often struggle with these same two things. First, Elijah trusted in his own thoughts and emotions, and this is a quick way to get into trouble because, remember, we have this limited human perspective. The, the picture we see is not reliable. Our our thoughts and our emotions, they they often tell a story that's not accurate at all. So let's think about Elijah's mental and emotional state. Uh, For one thing, this guy had been going nonstop. He was basically wearing himself out. And he was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted, wiped out. And that is a time when, when you can't trust your thoughts and emotions, when you're in that depleted state. I can think of many times in my life when my thoughts and emotions steered me in the wrong direction and gave me a skewed sense of reality. As I've shared before, that sometimes happens to me when I wake up in the middle of the night. Man, at 3 a.m., your problems can seem huge, maybe unbearable. I've I've learned over the years, though, that things often look very different in the light of day. I've I've learned that I shouldn't make any big decisions at 3 a.m. Let's look at another factor that brought Elijah to that low point. Elijah forgot God and his truth. And that may seem strange because Elijah saw time and again that God is faithful. God is powerful. God will provide. And Elijah saw that not just on Mount Carmel. This was a common thing for him. For example, one time there was a great famine in the land. There was a great drought. Elijah could have easily starved to death. But God provided Elijah with food. He sent ravens to feed him. It's an amazing thing. And then at a different time, God actually used Elijah to raise a little boy back from the dead. Which, by the way, is the first time we see a resurrection in Scripture. So, how could Elijah forget all of that? Well, the truth is, we do the same thing, don't we? How many times has God been faithful in your life? How many good gifts has He given you? Could you even count them? It's so easy to forget all of those good things and focus on the negative, and start to trust in those feelings, like, ah, things are bad, they're going to get worse, there's no way out. But when we hit those low points, what do we need to do? We need to do the same thing Elijah did. We need to turn to God and let the Holy Spirit guide us into the truth. This is where Elijah does something right. He turns to God, and then how does God respond? Well, it's interesting. God doesn't respond with frustration and anger like, what in the world, Elijah? How could you forget me so quickly? No, God doesn't say that. He responds by giving Elijah what he really needs. He guides Elijah to the truth. Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 9. It says, Elijah came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You see what Elijah's doing here? He's trusting in his own thoughts and emotions, his own perspective, and based on his perspective, he is all alone. But God is about to set him straight. The Lord says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, this might seem a little odd. There's this huge windstorm, a big earthquake, a big fire. But God doesn't show up in any of those cataclysmic events. Where does He show up? In that. Gentle whisper in that still small voice. It's almost like God is saying, "Elijah, you knew I was with you on Mount Carmel. You you saw that. You've you've seen that I'm with you on these mountaintop experiences. But you know what? I'm also with you when things aren't so dramatic. I'm with you when you feel alone. When Elijah heard that whisper." God must have felt very present, very close. And I'm sure that was incredibly reassuring. So we need to remember this. Remember, when you are in that low point, God is with you. He's right there with you. He's the one who loves you best. And when you turn to him, he surrounds you with his love. So God makes his presence known to Elijah, but he doesn't stop there. God also replaces the lies with the truth. And where was Elijah believing something that wasn't true? Well, what did he say? He said, this whole country's gone to pot. They're all worshiping idols. They've all turned away from you. I'm it. I'm the only one who stayed faithful. But hold on, Elijah. That's what your thoughts and your emotions are telling you. But that's a skewed reality. Yeah, there's a lot of bad out there. But God sets the record straight. He says to Elijah, Nah, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah was far from alone. There were literally thousands of Israelites who had stayed faithful to the one true God. So, don't trust in your emotions. Don't trust in your perspective. God is the one who sees what's real. He sees the big picture. A man named Matthew Henry is a perfect example of this. Matthew Henry lived about 300 years ago, and he wrote uh, one of the most well-known Bible commentaries of all time. And because he wrote this commentary, he, he spent vast amounts of time absorbing and internalizing God's Word. He just immersed himself in God's truth. One night, though, Matthew Henry was held up and and he was robbed. And after that crime, he wrote something very interesting in his diary. He said, let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Wow. You know, it would have made complete sense if Matthew Henry felt angry or fearful or alone or victimized. Those those feelings would have made complete sense. But Matthew Henry was immersed in God's truth. And because of that, this crime was an opportunity to be thankful. That's the power of trusting God instead of our feelings. That's the power of letting the Holy Spirit guide you into the truth. But how do we do that? How do do you let the Holy Spirit be your tour guide? Well, for one thing, you can follow Elijah's example when, when you feel overwhelmed, when you're struggling in life, you can turn to God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never experienced a life-changing relationship with Him, start there. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, man, hold on to Him with everything you've got. You can also follow the example of Matthew Henry. And immerse yourself in the truth of Scripture. And Jimmy talked about this last week. I loved what he said about sermons. (laughs) He said, sermons are kind of like dessert. And and if your whole diet is dessert, you're not going to be very healthy. So in a spiritual sense, you need a regular diet of God's Word pouring into your soul every single day. So make this a priority. We, we talk about it a lot, but make it a priority. H- however you need to do that. You could follow the, the Bible reading plan in your bulletin. You can find a different Bible reading plan. You could get in a group and read the Bible together. That, that is huge. That is so important. You can do that in a life group. Uh, if you need to find a small group, let us know. We'd, we'd love to help you. But you, know, you could also just get a couple friends together, read the Bible together. Out there at the Information Center, we have a discussion guide that walks you through the same passages we're studying on Sunday morning. It's not complicated. You could pick one of those up today. Whatever you do, though, let God speak to you through his word every single day. Because, you know, when life gets tough, it will make a huge difference if your head and your heart are full of God's truth. I've seen what a difference that makes. Years ago, when I was a pastor in Savannah, Georgia, I worked with another pastor named Ken, and I always knew that Ken had a strong and genuine faith, but this year, uh, Ken's faith has really been tested. Back in the spring, his wife uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer, and the last few months have been kind of a nightmare. But every now and then, uh, Ken posts a message, and he shares how things are going. And uh, what he shares, it's very honest. It's kind of raw. It's just honest that he's struggling. It's a struggle to keep trusting God. But I wanted to read a a message that Ken shared a while back. It goes with what we're talking about today. Listen to this at the end of Psalm 27, David writes, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. That's etched in my brain because I read it almost every day. In worship, I sing songs about what God can do, what he could do, what he has done, what he will do, that he is faithful. In my brain, I know all of this. I've said all this to people for over 30 years. But knowing it and believing it, trusting it, are two very different things. And while I know those words are all true, I'm struggling, honestly, at different moments to believe it, trust it. What I'm finding in my life is that the greatest battle I am facing is between what I know and what I feel. is letting what I know to be true of God travel to my heart and become deep and abiding faith that's difficult from moment to moment so if I had to ask you to pray one thing for me it would be to let my heart trust believe what my mind tells me is true this is just where I am my heart really goes out to Ken and his wife Jolene I'm praying for them, and I know they'd appreciate it if you'd pray for them as well. But I'm also challenged by these words because I need to let God's truth travel from my head to my heart and become deep and abiding faith. And we all need that, don't we? We all need the Holy Spirit as a tour guide to guide us into the truth when we're not thinking right. Let me ask you, how is your reality distorted today? Maybe you're thinking, God, I've prayed, but it doesn't seem like you're going to do anything. So I guess I got to handle this on my own. Maybe you're thinking, I just feel so broken. I don't think I'm ever going to get past this. Maybe you feel discouraged, or helpless, or hopeless. So where do you go from here? We need to do the same thing Elijah did. We need to turn to God and let the Holy Spirit guide us into the truth. So I want to give all of us the opportunity to do that right now. In just a moment, we're going to put several verses on the screen. And I encourage you to not only read these verses, but let them sink down into your heart and believe them. Trust what God is saying. Let the truth of God travel from your head to your heart and become that deep and abiding faith. So let's listen to God together. guides us to the truth when we're not seeing clearly, thinking clearly when when our feelings are giving us a, an inaccurate picture, a story that's just not the reality. So Lord, help us to turn to you. To let you speak to us through your word and let your truth sink into our hearts and become a deep Abiding faith. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name.